Uh, I'll be reading from Galatians 5, 13 through 25. If you'd like to read along with me. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Thank you, Al. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks truth to us. May we uh, come underneath it today. Help us to submit our hearts to it, submit our minds to it. Help us to understand your word that we may understand you better and that we may walk with you and represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a word that we use a lot in our country is the word freedom. You know, our president just recently met with the Pope, and one of the topics of conversation, supposedly at least, I wasn't there, but from what I've heard, is that they discussed religious freedom. That was one of the topics. And that's one that we discuss often in our country. Uh, it's one of many, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Uh, there are a number of freedoms that we enjoy in our country. But I wonder how you would define freedom. You know, if I were to hand out index cards to everyone and say, you know, just give me a definition of freedom, how would you define it? I think some would define it as uh, the ability to do what you want. You know, just I can do whatever I want. I have the ability to do that. Uh, others would define it as the ability to do what you ought to do. Well, this idea of freedom, this concept of freedom, is one that finds its way in the letter of Galatians uh, in many different places. And it's a predominant theme in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And in this letter, specifically in verse, verses uh, that, that Al read to us from chapter 5, uh, Paul is going to answer at least two questions. And these are the questions I want to look at this morning. The first question is, how have we been set free? Whatever free means and freedom means. How have we been set free? And then the second question is, 
What have we been set free to do? Or what, why have we been set free? You know, what, what is our freedom for? What, are we, what have we been freed to do? Okay? So the first question that I think Paul answers here in chapter 5 of Galatians is, how have we been set free? Now this is a simple question with a simple answer, but it's one that we tend to get wrong. In verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So clearly, Paul says that we have been freed by Christ, and we have been freed for freedom. But at the same time, the reason he's sharing that is because there have been some people that have moved into the churches in Galatia, and they were teaching something a little different. And what they were teaching can be summarized in one verse, and it's found in Acts 15, chapter 1. And this is what they were teaching. They said that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so you had this teaching moving into the churches, and it was creating this tension because it was really saying that we could be made right with God in two different ways. One obviously is not correct. And so what we see Paul getting at here in this chapter is that there are two ways that men seek to be justified in God's sight. And I use that word justified or justification to simply mean you are in right standing with God. You have been made right with God. Reconciled to God, okay? You've been justified. And so Paul, Paul basically says there's two ways that you and I try to justify ourselves. One is that we try to free ourselves through our own goodness. And the other way, which is the way Paul taught the Galatians that they were freed, and that is through the work of Christ. So one way that we seek to be freed is through the law, or what you might say is through your obedience or through your own goodness. And Paul addresses this path in verses 2 through 4. And this is what he says. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So Paul's saying there's only one way to be made right with God or to be free. And that is through Christ. If you're trying to earn your acceptance by God, Paul's saying that what you're doing is you are submitting again to a yoke of slavery. So you're putting yourself under a burden that you cannot bear. And this is what he's referring to as this yoke of slavery. It's a heavy yoke and it never lets up. It's a yoke that is impossible to bear and can never lead you to freedom. Let me try to illustrate it this way. A few years ago, um, I was watching an interview with Michael Jackson. And as you know, Michael Jackson was a very talented uh, musician, uh, singer, dancer. And he would tell the story about growing up, his, his father was very strict. And he would have them practice uh, for, for many grueling hours. And he was very particular and very strict. And Michael talks about how during those rehearsals as a child, 
If he were to miss one dance move, his father would beat him. And so he just talks about how his performance was driven by fear. Always driven by this fear of his father, this fear of being, you know, disciplined harshly or cast out, getting in trouble. And so his motivation to succeed and perform well was governed by fear. And that's what Paul's saying here. If this is your approach to God, if you think you can do it through your own performance, you are putting yourself under this yoke that you cannot bear. You cannot do it. Because you need to realize, and he's specifically talking to them, if you go and you try to say, I'm going to be right with God by being circumcised, then actually you're putting on the yoke of the whole law, saying you can get to God, you can be reconciled to God through your own goodness, through your own good work. And Paul says that is a yoke that we cannot bear. And then Paul makes three statements here in these verses that are directed toward those who are trying to be right with God through their own goodness. Listen to these three statements. The first one is this. He says, Christ will be of no advantage, no advantage to you. Which makes sense. If I can do it myself, then why do I need Christ? You know, I've told this story before, but I was on an airplane, uh, and beside me was this guy from Denmark. And we were talking about Christianity, and, and Christian, Christianity is this kind of state religion in Denmark. And he would just talk about, you know, how it's really not, uh, you know, very popular. People don't really, you know, practice Christianity. It's just kind of there. And we were talking about what it means to be right with God. And he said, basically, you know, I'm a, if you're a good person, you're right with God. And I began to explain to him, well, then why did Jesus have to come and die? What, what is the whole point of Jesus? Why is it called Christianity? You know, it's all based on what Christ has done. You know, if we could get to God on our own, then Christ is no advantage to us. And then Paul says the second statement, you are severed from Christ. In other words, you have no use for him. If you, can, if you want to go this route, if you think you can justify yourself through your own goodness, then you've been severed from Christ. He's, no, he's of no use to you. And then lastly, he says, you have fallen away from grace. Because if you can earn it, it is not grace. Grace, the definition of grace is receiving something you did not deserve, you did not earn. That's grace. And if you can earn it, that is not grace. And so if you seek to be right with God through any other way other than Christ, then you have fallen away from grace. You've moved away from that because that is not grace that you're seeking and enjoying. In other words, if you put on this yoke, then there is no room for grace. If you put on the yoke of slavery once again. So you're either freed from your own effort. Or you're freed through the effort of another. Paul goes on to say in verses 5 through 6. He says for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. And so you see him contrasting these two views again. If you're trying to earn your own righteousness or right standing with God, that's in total opposition to what we do as Christians. Because we have a faith in the work of another. We have faith in Christ. And we simply just wait 
for the hope of our righteousness. It's a passive righteousness. It's not, it's not one that we earn. It's one that we receive. And so we're waiting on it. Because Christ will accomplish that for us. He's accomplished it on the cross. He'll bring it to fulfillment when He comes again. And our role is to wait for it. And the hope there is not like the way we use hope. Our hope is kind of a wish. I hope it happens. Maybe it'll happen. But the way hope is used in the New Testament, it's, a, it's, an, it's an assured thing that will happen. It's, I know it's going to happen. It's coming for those who have faith in Christ. That's, that's the difference. And then he says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And this is important because I think this is one of the most misunderstood areas of Christianity. The first one is, how are we freed in the first place? Is it through Christ or is it through your own effort? That's the first one. And Paul says we're freed through the work of Christ. Faith in Christ alone. The second misunderstanding is, what, are we, what have we been freed for? In other words, what role does obedience play in the life of the Christian? Because what we see here is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So we see that we have not been freed by our obedience. But what we will see here in this passage is that even though we have not been freed by our obedience, we've been freed through the obedience of Christ. So through our faith we've been freed. But we have been freed to obey. And this leads us to that second question. What have we been freed for? In verses 13 through 25, we're going to see that if you have faith in Christ, then you have been freed to obey. And that's a good thing. Paul has spent the first five chapters of the book of Galatians, this letter, hammering home the fact, and if you've been here week in, week out, you know this is true. He has been hammering home the idea that you are freed through Christ alone. Period. Over and over and over. He just beat it into our heads. It's through Christ alone that you're made right with God. So five chapters, he's been drilling that into our minds. And now he says, okay, hopefully now you understand how you are freed. So now let's talk about what you need to do with that freedom. And he says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by another. So Paul says you have been called to freedom. You know, we have been freed for freedom. And what he's saying here is in Christ, we now have the ability to do what God wants us to do. We have this ability now to actually become who God wants us to be. We have this opportunity to live for the glory of God. But he also says, now that you have this freedom, don't use your freedom as an opportunity 
for the flesh. And he anticipates this question. And here's the question. This may be a question that you've asked before. You know, Ron, if you're telling me that I am accepted by God solely through faith in Jesus Christ, having nothing to do with my goodness, having nothing to do with my obedience, having nothing to do with anything I can offer, it's only through faith in Christ. Then does that mean I can do whatever I want? Right? If it's only through Christ, then does it really matter that how I live my life? What's the big deal? I, you know, I can just do whatever I want. Well, Paul anticipates that question, and he says, Yes, you've been freed through Christ, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, because you've been freed for a purpose. And there is opportunity to become who God wants you to be in this freedom. So do not use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You see, God's laws, and you can look back even to the Old Testament, you realize that God, the laws of God were never meant to save you. They were meant to point you not only to the character of God and who He is, but also point you to your need for a Savior. And we've learned that through Galatians. But once you have been saved or freed in Christ, we see God's laws a little differently. Perhaps before you saw God's laws as a ladder that you would try to climb to reach God. But now in Christ we realize the laws of God are a reflection of the character of God. And they're put in place for our goodness. You know, to make us more like Christ. And so we look at those and we consider how we can follow those, obey those out of our, our position of acceptance by God instead of seeking to obey these laws to try to be accepted by God. Or to put it another way, we can use our freedom here to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in verses 16 through 25... Paul goes into more detail as into how we can live out our freedom. How do we live out this freedom that we have now to the glory of God? And what we see in verse 17 is that there's a battle that goes on in the life of the believer, of the Christian. And perhaps you can attest to this. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, let me say something on the front end with this verse. The the desires of the flesh, some of your translations, and I think the one that Al read, uh, the lust of the flesh. Now, when you think of that phrase, the lust of the flesh, I wonder where your mind goes immediately. I would imagine it would go to sexual sin. That's probably lust of the flesh. But that's really not what, even though that's included in what he's talking about, that's not simply what he's talking about. When he talks about the desires of the flesh, he's not talking about my skin. He's talking about my desires, my natural desires that are unhooked from God. So, 
It's these natural desires, things that I want to do, who I want to be, why I want to live, my ambition, everything I am apart from God. One way to think about this is, let's say your life is like a boat. And you put the boat in the Savannah River. Now the Savannah River has a current to it. And if you put the boat in there, it's going to go one direction only. And that's what he's saying. Apart from Christ, you have these desires of the flesh that are going to move you in a direction. Just like when you put your boat in the river, it's going to move in a certain direction. And as those desires manifest themselves in your life, this is what they'll look like. And he says it this way. And I'm going to read from the message, which is a paraphrase here, of verses 19 through 21. And listen to what he says. As these desires of the flesh manifest themselves in our lives, this is what it looks like. He says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive Loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what he's showing us here is, if we allow our boat for example, just to be carried along by the river of our desires of the flesh, unhooked from God, this is what it'll look like. And this isn't all that it'll look like, this is just a sampling. Because, you know, he says, and things like these. It will show itself. And so the question is, is does this describe my life? That's the question that we want to ask ourselves. Does this describe our lives? The works of the flesh. Is that how people would describe me? And if you see these things in your life, one of two things could be true. First one is that you could be a believer in Christ and have God's Spirit within you, but you're giving in to the desires of the flesh. And so you may see, you know, an outburst of, of anger, a brutal temper, or cutthroat competition, or whatever it may be. You may see these things pop up in your life. Because you are giving in to the desires of the flesh instead of submitting to the Spirit of God. That's possible. And that happens to us. But the difference between that person and someone who is characterized by this type of behavior is that that first person who has God's Spirit is convicted by that. And is willing to repent, turn from that, confess that sin to God. That's the mark of the Christian It's confession and repentance. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To bring about the truth, convict us, renew us, challenge us. So that could be you. You could be a believer, fall into some of these things, and be convicted by God's Spirit, and confess it, and be renewed again. Now, or it could be the second person. The second 
position could be. You don't have God's Spirit in your life. And now you may battle against doing what's right or wrong or good or bad. Or you may even battle against what you think might put you in a right position with God. But what you're not battling against is what would God have me do? That's not the question of your life. What would God want me to do? And if that's you, I would say you, you should evaluate yourself and say, have I placed my faith in Christ? Is God's Spirit living with inside me? You see, when we place our faith in Christ, we are placed in God's family. We've seen that. We are given the Holy Spirit, and then we are free to become who God wants us to be. And going back to verse 1, he says, you have two options. You can live out this freedom, or you can submit to a yoke of slavery. And what you need to realize is that a slave has no ability to be anything else but a slave. But once that slave has been freed, then the opportunities abound for what he could be. And so not only did Christ pay the penalty for our sin, so that in Christ we have forgiveness of our sin, and not only have we been placed in the family of God, but He's given us His Spirit to make us into the person God wants us to be. The opportunities abound. And so, let's go back to the boat analogy here. You put your boat in the river, but now we got a little something different happening to the boat. In Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And so it would be like uh, putting a sail in your boat. And now, as the wind of the Holy Spirit blows, which always blows contrary to the desires of the flesh, now you have this sail in your life that you can turn to harness the power of the Spirit of God. And even though the desires of the flesh are still present, you have a greater power within that you can submit to, and that is the leading of the Spirit of God. Which is like turning that sail and and pointing in the direction that the Holy Spirit wants you to go. And the wind of God's Spirit always blows you toward Christ-likeness. And we see what that looks like in verses 22 and 23. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, the first three there, love, joy, and peace, these could uh, possibly relate to our relationship with God. You know, He is our primary love. He's our source of true joy. He's our source of true peace. And then you have the next three, patience, kindness, goodness. They relate to our relationship with each other. Patient, kindness, Goodness. And then the third triad, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control could relate to our relationship with ourselves. Self-mastery, the ability to control oneself in the power of the Spirit. And then Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Because just think about this. Okay? Let's say you were just head over heels in love with someone. Okay? You just, you love them. Do you need anybody to tell you how to treat that person? 
<laughs> no, you don't. Because you love them. And so what you're going to do is, out of a position of love for them, you're going to try to do what's best for them. Right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, if the more we understand the love of God and what He's done for us in Christ, the more that sinks into who we are, into our souls. We don't need a to-do list because we're just going to be an overflow of what we've experienced through the Gospel. As, as we've experienced the mercy of God, we're going to display the mercy of God. As, as we've experienced the love of God, we're going to display the love of God. And so against such things, there is no law. Because it's taking root inside and the Holy Spirit is producing fruit inside. And then Paul goes on to say in verses 24 and 25, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay, if you are a Christian... If you are a Christian, then you are in Christ. You are in the family of God. Your sin has been forgiven and you are sealed for all eternity. Okay? But you have now this freedom. And in this freedom, you have a moment by moment decision to make. Day by day, moment by moment. And the decision is, will I allow myself to be carried along by the river? Or will I turn myself toward the power of the Spirit and be guided by God? That's your decision. It's not, am I a Christian or not? That's a one-time decision. But now, daily, it's, how am I going to use my freedom? Am I going to allow it just to be carried along by the current? Or am I going to turn the sail and submit to the Spirit's leading? Paul says, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, when you crucify something, when you crucify someone, not that I've ever done that, by the way, okay? But, when you crucify someone, it's a slow death. You know, people do not die immediately. And so he says, Christian, you have crucified the flesh, but guess what? It's still hanging on. It's still breathing. And it's dying a slow death. And that death will not be completely finalized until Christ returns. Or until you go to be with Christ. And so in the meantime, we have to keep turning our cell toward the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's a moment by moment decision. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is where are you in your relationship with God? You know, are you using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or as an opportunity for the spirit? Have you been freed or are you under this yoke of slavery? And lastly, I want you to think of it like this. Let's imagine you're in a, a bike race, okay? Long bike race. Now, Jesus has paid your entry fee for the race because you could not pay it. So you're in the race. He's even given you the bicycle, okay, to ride in the race. And let's say, hey, the race has started. Everybody's off. We're going, 
okay, on this long race, but we're giving it all we got. We're trusting in, you know, this great bicycle that Jesus has given me, and I'm riding this bike. But then I crash the bike, which I fall into sin. I give into the desires of the flesh. Crash off the side of the street. Now, if you were in a race, if you were in a bike race, what would you do? Would you pick your bike up and take it back to the starting line and start again? No. You would simply pick your bike up, get back on it, and proceed in the race. And that's how the Christian life is lived. We will crash the bike every now and then. And we're going to crash it. But Christ's work is sufficient to deal with our crashes. And what He wants us to do is get back on the bike. Don't, you don't have to go back to the beginning. God has been at work in your life. He's doing something in your life. He's been at work in your life all this time. You don't have to go back. You just pick the bike up where you are. You get back on it and you progress in your walk with the Lord. And what that looks like is when I crash, then I confess my sin to God. I thank Him for His forgiveness in Christ. And I walk by the Spirit. Christ is sufficient to deal with our crashes. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live out this freedom that we have to the glory of God. Let us pray. God, we come to you thankful that you alone have freed us. We were unable to free ourselves. You've given, this, you've given us this wonderful freedom. And now, Lord, you tell us that freedom, that definition of freedom to the ability to do what you want, and the other definition, the ability to do what you ought in Christ, they come together. And as we walk with you, what we ought to do becomes what we want to do. As we continually are impacted by what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, help us all to turn our sails to the wind of the Spirit, that we may become who you want us to be and represent you wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.